For me, it just came down to uh, relationships. And I think probably the older I got to, I realized that um, life is too short to not enjoy what you're doing while you're trying to change the world. Do you want to talk about Ken? Sure. Like right now? Or you mean? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Ken's brilliant. Like he's one of those guys that uh, makes you feel welcomed and he's just a creative minded guy. Like the first day I met him, he definitely made me feel welcomed um, to be a part of the team, like especially with the Olympics, you know, and you know, he, he was just one of those guys where, you know, he would always ask questions, always thought, wanted to hear what other people had to say first before he began processing his creative minded perspective. And I think that's why he was, he's done so well for himself, you know, and and as known as one of those guys who just sees things differently and, and puts it into perspective and real life experiences for not just you know, the team, but consumers to be able to see that. I think um, one of my biggest things for Ken was specifically able to see his creative side through uh, not just uh, Sochi in in Russia, the Winter Olympics, but specifically in Rio um, and what he did. So um, a lot of the creative things that were done um, experiential-wise to um, apparel, footwear, design, storytelling, a part of that, um, he had his hands in. And, you know, that's why he was doing what he was doing but now you know being able to do um, further amazing things with GMR being their creative officer chief creative officer um, I'm excited to see what else he's going to be able to do with just not just focus on Nike but a lot of the portfolio management of what GMR has and so we'll see hey guys good timing yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ken how are you <laughs> Very good. Yeah, oh, man. these are happy, good. Happy Friday. <laughs> it is a happy Friday, man. The holiday is about to kick off, which is great. So yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for uh, coming on. Like, I know the first time we tried, it was just a lot of things going on and technical difficulties, but I'm glad we're we're in it. Things are working. No stress. <laughs> loud, loud and clear this time. <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks again for uh, being. Um, you know, part of this podcast. We're excited to have you. Um, we were just, you know, doing a quick intro for you and you came on board. It was just perfect timing, like Jesse said. Um, cool. But yeah, we wanted to kind of, you know, a lot of the times we ask our our, our, uh, our guests, you know, kind of give us a holistic overview of like how they started, why they chose the direction of subject or, you know, um, career path that they chose and, and yeah. kind of how they got into Nike and what they're doing now. And, um, you know, would love to ask you, you know, as, as a fan of your work specifically, you know, um, would love to know, like, as you chose the art center of college of design during the time, yeah. what, what kind of made you go into thinking that you wanted to go into design or was it kind of just like, you didn't know, but you knew you wanted to do something creative. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I w- just wanted to play basketball, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, um, if I could have done that for a living, that would have been that would have been the path. The second best thing was um, that I could draw. And so I was the kid. I was a good kid in high school, played played sports and stuff. But I was also the one who, you know, the caricature of the teacher would end up on the teacher's desk about halfway through class. Um, and so, you know, I found that was a way to get into trouble, but also um, kind of get some 
some recognition and it felt good. So I, I, um, had gone out of high school. I had gone to a small college thinking I wanted to play basketball and I took some art classes there. The basketball thing didn't work out, you know, me well enough to know why that would, that would have been a pipe dream anyway. But, um, uh, took some, took some art classes. And at the end of the term, um, the head of that art department took me aside and said, um, Hey Ken, you're a nice kid, but, uh, I don't think you're cut out for a career in art or design. So you might want to pick something else. So I was, uh, little shock, no basketball, no drawing, like what, what the hell? So I, I kind of flipped a double bird and, and, um, left school and started working for a, uh, found a job as an apprentice with a, um, production company in Seattle, in, uh, near Seattle in Tacoma, Washington, that was doing kids record albums and books and stuff like that. And I did a little bit of everything. Um, you know, these were the old days. So there was an airbrush artist and an illustrator who did animation. I pretty much cleaned up all their work. And one of the guys there, um, actually said the reverse to me. He's like, what the hell? You're 18 years old. What are you doing here? You should be in school. And I said, the guys at school just told me I wasn't good enough to do this stuff. So, um, you know, Martin had graduated from art center recently and he's like, no, there's a place you need to go because you're competitive. Um, it's world-class. You'll see what you're made of. They'll polish you. So, um, he kind of took me under his wing and I spent the next couple of years getting a book together. Um, and then applied to art center, uh, just knowing I wanted to do something in design, graphic design was, was the path. Um, the good news having worked a couple of years before I went to school proper, um, was I had a bit of a taste of the outside world. Um, as, as I said before, I loved, loved basketball. I love drawing, which means sports. And at that time it was animation. I think, um, Nickelodeon, Ren and Stimpy, on Nickelodeon had just caught fire. So those were my two targets going into Art Center. I said, I want to come out, either work for Nickelodeon or Nike. And then everything at Art Center, um, all the projects they gave, I turned into sports. So, they, you know, hey class, we're going to design a new line of uh, shampoo or skincare cosmetics. And, you know, I'd raise my hand in the back and go, can I do like ace bandages or something like that? So um, <laughs> totally shaped my book to be about sports, about animation. And um, fortunately, uh, it worked. It came out and uh, was hired by Angela Snow and Todd Van Horn um, to start working wow. in the apparel division, which is awesome. So that's amazing. <laughs> so you were recruited in um, by Angela and Todd into the company. That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah. So I uh, actually applied for a job. It was in sports graphics. Um, and so I was actually designing t-shirts and I came in for the, like the first t-shirt mailer I worked on were designs for the hair Jordan, uh, campaign. So, um, which again, is a freaking dream come true. Are you kidding me? Like Michael Jordan and then Warner brothers, Bugs Bunny, like that, again, the, the, the stars aligning were, uh, I had no idea. I had no idea how lucky I was to be in that place in time, but, um, yeah, I was pumped. And so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just curious, just going back to Art Center, because obviously it, that's like a, you know, legendary design school. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about just like the culture there? As it, and, you know, you talked about how you had the experience of working in, you know, real life, um, you know, uh, design house before you, you went to school. But 
how did that culture uh, there kind of help prepare you for work at Nike just in terms of like the competitiveness or the collaboration or anything that maybe could, you could kind of speak to? Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a fantastic question. I mean, Nike obviously made for athletes, made of athletes is super type A, really talented folks. Everybody's smart. Um, Art Center was much the same way. I think it was a precursor to that. I remember... Um, like I pulled at least a couple all-nighters a week. It was just constant. It was relentless. Um, that's part of the kind of fire that they put us through. Um, and I remember, I can remember each term, <laughs> the beginning of a term, walking into a class and um, looking around and again, as an athlete, I was fairly competitive, but going, okay, she's really good. I think I got him. I think I got him. I think I got her. Uh, Got to watch out for that dude she's really sharp. And so it was very competitive environment in terms of um, what you put up, the ideas you come in with, um, how you learn how to tell stories um, with your work, how you articulate and talk about your work, um, which is kind of at the heart of how Nike operates, centered on story, um, being able to tell story through pictures, through words, um, being able to argue for good work. So I think it was... um, Nobody's ever asked me that question. It's a good one. I think those two were very closely aligned um, for preparing me. And, and with that, I'll follow up with that because that was similar to the question I was going to ask as well. Was um, with with kind of the alignment of the culture there. Was it similar with the the leadership uh, that you received as well within the school, and then obviously with being hired. Um, at Nike and, and receiving that same kind of type leadership and being able to kind of be drawn into what they did and how they did things to kind of, for you to kind of gain those leadership skills yourselves. Yeah, that's um, hmm. another great question. It, it um, I think the difference, Art Center was focused very much on, obviously as it's a college, it's on, on your development your knowledge, your ability to, to tell stories, um, to practice design at a really high level. I think arts, uh, Nike was, especially in those early years, was much more entrepreneurial. I mean, I think it was, it was more about um, get folks in that can fly pretty quickly. And um, like I remember getting some projects and it was like, here you go, here's your desk. Here's your computer. Um, we have a mailer that we're uh, pitching concepts for on Tuesday of next week. Show us what you got. Um, and so I think that was the the difference was um, kind of a, a resourceful spirit within Nike, which is bring the best of what you have. Art Center was a little more directed. Um, Dude, you got me thinking. You got me thinking about things in ways that I haven't before. This is great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Good, good. Um, I will say, I challenge. I mean, the good news, of having worked before I went to Art Center, was I had a somewhat of the ability to challenge um, classes. Like I said, I would I would tailor projects to what I thought I wanted to do. Um, one specific project in uh, my senior thesis was uh, with a good friend who's still in the ad game in New York. We redesigned the identity for the LA Clippers, um, redid their uniforms, whole new whole new ad campaign. Um, 
it was just what we were into. It's what we loved. The Clippers sucked at that time. They were the worst team in the league. It was hilarious how bad they were. So that was a fun campaign to work on. But um, that, I think, it contributed to Angela and Todd hiring me, probably. And then nine months into Nike, that that actually, in my book, became the path for me to um, join a couple other people and start the team sports division, believe it or not. So again, stars kind of align in ways that you don't expect. So... I think it would be great to just kind of get like a sense of sort of the time frame. So you came into Nike in 92. Is that accurate? Yep, correct. Yep. And then so shortly after that was Nike Team Sports, which was a huge right. deal. Um, obviously, I think a little bit later uh, in the sort of history of Nike Team Sports, a little controversy and whatnot, which we don't necessarily need to get into. But um, <laughs> I mean, that was a massive driver for the business. Can you talk about just like your role and, and what that day-to-day looked like at that point in time? Yeah, yeah, that was an awesome time. So that, that would have been, nine, so I started March of, of 92. It was probably November, December. Um, I was in my cube um, and uh, I was the last one hired in the sport graphics team. So I was not in the pod is in the fourth floor of Michael Jordan. I was not in the pod with the rest of my team. I had a cube off kind of in a corner. Um, and I heard Angela Snow, she walks by my, so she's my boss's boss. Todd was my boss, reported to Angela, who reported to Don. I can't remember Don's last name. Um, and Angela's walking into Don's office, who was right next to my cube. And she's going, sports marketing just, just signed deals with a bunch of college basketball teams to design uniforms. Like, we don't design uniforms. Who, who designs uniforms? This isn't a thing. Like, what, what are we supposed to do? But they need somebody to go meet with these coaches. Like, she's saying this as she's walking by my cube and my ears pop up. And I, like, peek up over the edge of my cube as she's going by and our eyes meet. And this is, this is like, in a movie. She's like, um, you had the Clippers uniforms in your portfolio, right? I'm like, yes. She's like, do you want to go meet some coaches about designing some uniforms? I said, can I call my dad and tell him this is awesome? Yes, let's do it. So um, it seems like it was a week later, might've been a week or two. Um, there were six of us um, on a plane and we went in Seton Hall, Georgetown, um, UNLV, Michigan. Um, then we added Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse, and that, and that kind of rolled out. So the four, four folks on the product side who really started team sports, myself, Keith Hulamard on the basketball product line management, um, Doug Reed on football and then um, Randy Hamer um, on design on football. And we just, um, we started at Steven Gomez was leading the, leading the crew. And, um, you know, it was a venture that was new because none of us knew how to do it. It was, it was a coming out party. When you ask what was, why was it important for Nike? It was really a coming out party for apparel. Apparel had been Nike uh, footwear's lowly kind of step, sibling for years even as apparel had grown significantly we were still a footwear company and so this was the chance for us to put our performance products on athletes in the field of play in the same way that footwear had been doing for years so um it was a really big deal and that first year we um we made some mistakes. We did some things great. I think the aesthetic of the game of basketball, college basketball specifically, which is what I was over at the time, um, we shifted it purposefully, meaningfully to kind of classic and elevated sensibility, which really changed the game. There are a lot of really iconic things that came out of that. Arizona, um, uh, Duke, we redid some stuff around Duke. 
Um, one of the things we found early on too was that just the identities of teams were some, you know, very classic, very important, but also not necessarily polished. So one of the things that was fun for me was beginning to shift us from just being a product um, group to really thinking about brands in a holistic manner and start to delve into team identities um, and brands as they were connected to an expression, connected to performance uniforms that told a story of an, of a team and a brand and um, energy on a field. So um, yeah, it was a crazy time. We worked with some external vendors because nobody, we didn't know how to get like even the materials that you would make uniforms with. Um, so it's kind of fake it till you make it and then uh, grow up and grow into it. So <laughs> a very cool, um, it's a cool journey. Yeah. And, and how did you guys handle, I, you said in the first year there was ups and downs, learning curve. Um, how did you guys handle the, the coaches? How was that discussion um, for you guys as a first team going into it? First of all, you guys had an amazing team, like Cooley, like you said, and everybody mm-hmm. else. And, and I just wanted to hear your guys' perspective as you guys go into these teams and meet with coaches and assistant coaches and what they were looking for. How did you guys handle that kind of like, ambiguousness at the time and, and how did you guys foresee and envision what it could look like and in, in the result? Yeah, it's a good question. We, you know, we, um, we followed a lot of the model that Nike was beginning to perfect at that time, which is the whole adage. We've all heard it. Listen to the voice of the athlete. I mean, it was, it was much the same, which is, you know, our entry point was really walking in and asking questions about how things worked first um super interested in the performance of product um what feels right what looks right and then then starting to get into the questions around personality of of a team um you know what's important from a university perspective and then the team within the university and then the coach and their style of play um and at the very beginning it was a lot of listening um taking notes and then we would go away and work on some stuff and come back and just ask the question, is this what you were, is this what you were talking about? Is this what you were thinking? And um, in some cases it was super basic. I remember PJ Carlissimo with, um, he was coach at Seton Hall at the time. We had a dinner at a, this little Italian joint <laughs> in New Jersey. Um, I swear it was something out of the Godfather. Felt felt like somebody was going to storm in in the back at any point. Um, he was very into kind of just in general, the personality um, Coach Thompson um, at Georgetown was into the story and the, the heritage um, and the presence um, that his team uh, carried uh, beyond basketball, which was really cool. So I guess the question for as a designer, the, we were listening a ton. Um, and then we learned from that how to turn that into some design recommendations the same way we would for any brand. And then different coaches had different levels of comfort with trying things. And we would just you kind of work through it. That's the fun of it. Yeah. I love that. So Ken, like as you're working um, within Nike team sports and, and that's starting to take off, how did that end up leading to your next opportunity at Nike? And can you kind of talk about what that process was like for growth within your career in design yeah that's cool we um so i I think it was in team sports through 93 to 98 ish and in that time 
um, within basketball, so, I mean, you grow on your path. Within basketball, we um, they threw Nike basketball, the branded line, in with us, which was fun. So we were doing that for a number of seasons with Kim, art director there. Um, Brand Jordan also. So this was um, it was art director for Jordan uh, 11 and 12 collection. Janet Nichols, the apparel designer, obviously Tinker and crew were on the footwear. Um, so that was the that was when we were transitioning Air Jordan into Brand Jordan, whole Jumpman Jordan kind of thing in the middle. So I was just learning a ton, um, seeing how brands work, um, how product is connected to storytelling and branding. Uh, we signed the NFL then, and uh, our director, the entire group at that point. So we started getting into some branding stuff, and the Denver Broncos were really a signature product there, um, and led that as that was Nike's first foray into true full-blown um, reinvention of a brand uh, on a team and in a field. And the storytelling we did for that, the way we worked with their owner Pat Bowen to build a story and then build that brand, tell that story. And, and the way that it shifted a lot of how Nike thought about our role within connected to um, shaping sport um, was just a really cool moment. And I think it was that path, Nike careers traditionally, at least in the early days, were built on moments to a great extent. Um, I think that was one of the moments for me. It was an amazing team that was on it with David Odesanya and um, a number of other designers who have gone on to do just awesome things. But um, Gordon Thompson, who was head of design at the time, was was thinking about how we can do some of the same stuff for the Olympics. Nike uh, attack on the Olympics since 84, our first deal in, had always been kind of guerrilla. Every group had done their own thing. And so they wanted a creative director for the Sydney Olympic Games. And it was focused mostly on apparel, but then kind of bringing everything else together. And so I think the Broncos kind of gave some folks some confidence that um, we could translate some of that success into uh, our presence uh, within Olympic Games. And fortunately, as we were rolling into that, um, Reebok uh, failed on their sponsorship, their partnership with the Australian Olympic Committee. Um, and so we picked up that deal and then were able to outfit the entire Australian Olympic team. And um, with Eddie Harbour and Rick McDonald created Kathy Freeman's full body suit that she won uh, gold uh, in her race with. So um, yeah, a little bit of magic happened there too. Uh, so I, Okay, go ahead. Well, well, no, no, no. Follow, follow up. I mean, go ahead, Jesse, because I this question is kind of not following up that topic. So go ahead. Okay, I think that um, just a couple things, because like, so when I like found out just like with Odie's work on like the Broncos logo, I think a lot of people kind of take for granted, or maybe don't know that you know brands like Nike do have that opportunity to kind of rebrand a, a sports mm -hmm. team and go like that deep into you know the legacy of of a franchise which is kind of an incredible opportunity um when you're talking about that deal with um the NFL and with the Broncos was that kind of the first time that Nike started to get those deals where they were doing all the apparel and all the like associated um mm -hmm. collateral that went along with the, with the franchise is that the first time that that started happening yeah that was the first wave so we signed the nfl um shortly thereafter we signed the nba we were doing some of the same stuff that would have been 96 ish i'm guessing somewhere in there um we had been doing this with collegiate teams for a while so all school deals um 
that was kind of the first path we took and we were dabbling in brand identity um, before that. So like literally the start, I I mentioned Seton Hall before the start was um, when we PJ gave us coach Carlissimo gave us the Seton Hall uniforms. We're like, we want to make something amazing for him. And we have a really bad pirate that looks like it's been Xeroxed 300 times um, as their (laughs) mascot. Um, We can't make amazing product and put that on this stuff. So can we help you clean it up? And it started there before it went into, how about if we apply Nike's brand expertise um, to these teams we're working with? And and the Broncos piece, uh, you know, credit to Pat Boland. Pat came in and told the NFL, he said, um, I want Nike to do this. You guys stay out of the way, let Nike go. Um, and then he turned to us and said, hey, I want to show um, the league and the world what football in the 21st century is supposed to look like. So take us there. And we spent a year, we spent 18 months. It was a full branding project, the same way it would be with any other company. 18 months, um, many, many rounds, lots of really cool stories within there. Um, Coach Mike Shanahan and all the meetings eating Jolly Ranchers like they were popcorn. It was hilarious. So <laughs> it was, um, it's a good, it's a, yeah, it was a super, super cool journey and tons of people. Odie was one of the key, key folks on the, on the D- deal, but you know, we had a, David Turner was the product, product designer, designed a ton of um, really iconic uh, performance silhouettes for um, football uh, training, Nike combat and stuff like that. It was, it was a super talented crew there. It was great to work with them. So as you're then like getting the nod, you know, into the Olympic um, team in 2000, you know, yeah. obviously there's a, a ton of work that goes into it, a ton of research, but can you speak to maybe the differences as you're starting to work then on Olympic product? And you talked about Eddie Harbor and like the mm-hmm. swimsuit and things like that, where you're having a lot of these technologies that have been developed, you know, years in advance that are getting rolled out and into these lines for the Olympics. Can you talk about how that shift was for you, how different it may have been or may, maybe not. And then just maybe like that process of integration with the innovation teams. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was a, it was a huge shift to go from being a leader within a specific team with a really talented team of designers uh, reporting to you that you have access to every day to more of a virtual role, which is setting a global creative direction that you then get to negotiate. Um, <laughs> you negotiate with everybody across the company um, to bring it to life. And so that definitely was in the next layer of development for me, which is um, learning to provide clear vision um, and direction, um, have a really strong destination in mind, but being open to a flexible path to get there. Um, the, the key became, which is Nike's hallmark, just building relationships, relationship with Eddie and Rick, as we talked about that swift suit being the centerpiece of, um, the innovation story we were going to be able to tell for those games. Um, and then using that as a catalyst, kind of a, a, I guess I think it was a magnet to pull everybody else and everything into it. Um, as it relates to an aesthetic, we built we built an aesthetic around um, Nike Alpha project <laughs> had just launched, um, and I was kind of lucky or unlucky, depending how you look at it, to be connected to building the brand identity for that. And so we were using the idea of dots, this whole notion of um, 
this kind of circular reference and we had a whole concept built around it and like that's a whole other long conversation some other time but um aesthetically how we line things up and then from a performance perspective what that next layer is um so you got the swift suit and then when australia when team australia came in that really did pull everything together and then the rest of the company kind of rallied around um, how they build in and support that so that's awesome i mean can we move towards how spark training came about ken i mean i'd love to know more about mm -hmm. that because i know when i was in spark was just kind of getting its feet wet and like nike was really heavily invested in it and yeah. um it was an opportunity to really bring innovation art science all in one together yeah. uh, to help the athlete i'd love to hear yeah. more about that yeah, for sure. Yeah, that so Spark was so wrapped the Olympics obviously in two thousand. Mike Wilski, Scott McEachern, Norn Holden, and I started an advanced concept team shortly after that, and we helped innovation launch Nike Free and um, Nike Plus came out of that. Live Strong, um, that really lit the fire for me from an entrepreneurial standpoint, where uh, really felt like my path had been obviously starting things along the way to start this, be the first on that. Um, the things we did as that team was fantastic, more the people than the projects, even though the projects were great. And the fire started burning in me to do something and, and really find out if what we've been able to do um, was due just to the fact that we're within Nike. Um, I was very curious if I took the swoosh off of my business card, if anybody who I'd worked with would ever call me back. Um, and so I had some thoughts of some things that I wanted to do. For years, I'd talked about stuff. And my wife was like, no, you will not leave. You will not bet this family on that idea. Um, came up with a couple of things. And, and um, Rudy Chapa had recently left left Nike. He had been head of global sports marketing at the time. And he and I had worked on some Nike.com things while I was working on the Olympics. We had a chat and he agreed. He's like, hey, I'll fund your deal if you help me with this other thing that we just are getting started called Spark. Um, and Spark training really was birthed out of an observation that um, the cross-training category um, had exploded and then um, disappeared really. Um, at its hike, at its height, I think cross-training was like a billion and a half dollar category just for Nike. Um, not to mention the entire industry flooded, you know, the shoe wall um, with cross-training. At the time would have been 2004, early 2004. Um, I think cross-training for Nike was like a $500 million business. And so um, Rudy's premise was that had Nike, perhaps had Nike um, trademarked it, so branded it so other people couldn't come in and then built it in a different way with support from a media perspective and products and otherwise, it might've become the default for a category that you fully own, um, lock, stock and barrel. And so that's what he started out with the Spark, which was um, stood for speed, power, agility, reaction, and quickness. Um, and the proposition was based upon um, development with metrics to measure and be able to track where you are and where you stand. So we took the NFL combine, um, the traditional combine, which was split to tell stories around big guys being strong and small guys being fast. And all of the language culturally at the time, all the college coaches, Pete Carroll and others were talking about, I want athletes. I don't want big guys. I don't want fast guys. I want athletes. And so we created a number that through those performance tests gave you a single number. And immediately, like there's three of us on the call right now, we all now have a different conversation because I don't just say, yeah, Jesse, 
I'm uh, I'm stronger than you. And you go, well, that doesn't matter. Cause I'm like, you'll never catch me cause I'm faster. Um, <laughs> we have a we have a conversation about what kind of an athlete we are and through that process we built technology we did testing on field we brought on field technology to give kids ratings and then connected directly to their performance um we tested over a million kids in a period of five years across a number of sports we could map specifically in football we could map what it looks like for a kid that enters high school as a freshman as they do work, what development looks like all the way to second year in the NFL and when college coaches start calling and stuff like that. So um, on the back of that, we built a media company. We had a magazine. Um, there was a recruiting arm. Um, we ran combines, formed a partnership, marketing partnership with Nike at the time to um, run these Spark combines. And then uh, we did it for five years with Nike as a marketing partner. And then we started getting... Um, people looking at us from VC and um, other competitors, um, quite frankly, were very interested in what we were doing. And at the time, Nike was looking for a, a solid footprint into performance training. And um, so they made us an offer and acquired us in 2009, um, which was cool. And then we expanded on some things, not just on the performance front. We actually built a performance um staff so head of performance paul winsper and brought in a number of other performance experts data experts um held the first ever national spark training championship which was broadcast live on espn for a couple of years um global performance symposium hosted a number of uh professional athlete uh training camps on campus which hadn't been done before so um it was fun doing building something externally and then as we came back, it was like me coming home to Nike, um, coming back into the company and seeing how you can inject an influence in something that Nike talks about really caring about, which is um, truly helping athletes in a really practical way that Nike hadn't really been able to do before. So that was fun. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I just uh, think that uh, with that and then kind of going back into Nike, it was like they're the calling right at the same time then going back to the olympics because i think that's when you and i met in like the 2013 with mel strong and just in regards to figuring out the winter olympics then mm -hmm. obviously with Cree and the, and the real olympics but mm -hmm. um would love your perspective throughout your like start to during your time at nike your interpretation of because i think going back to you know um you know you being hired at first like what leadership meant to you and, and i guess i would love to hear your interpretation of leadership at the time at nike uh, even today um, and how you modeled that mm -hmm. yeah you know it's um i was fortunate to have some really really good leaders and, and those who had very different styles um for me it just came down to uh relationships and I think probably the older I got to, I realized that um, life is too short to not enjoy what you're doing while you're trying to change the world. Um, the group that I referenced, the advanced concept team led by Mike Wilski that Mike and I started, um, that had a profound impact on me because the, the work that Mike and Lauren and Scott and I and Sandy Presley did together was we, we all came from different backgrounds. 
we were so focused on making amazing things happen that um, we didn't have time for territory. It wasn't about hierarchy. Um, and I think that probably is the, the window that influenced me the most, um, taught me about leadership as in rallying forces, building relationships, building bridges, um, providing a really clear vision, and then um, working really hard to enable smart people and get out of the way and give them a path to, to make their magic. Um, it's what I tried to do in some ways successfully, I think, with Spark. I ended up being GM of Spark before I went back um, within the creative rank. Um, some of what I tried to do with, with that crew and then definitely um, jumping back in on the um, creative side is we talked a lot about unleashing um, the brilliance and the magic that exists within folks that most of the world doesn't get to see. Um, and that, that still influences it today. me today. I think um, if I think about how I would want to be led, it would be someone who sees the best in me um, puts a big target out there to go after, um, gives me room to go after it, but also protects me a little bit from tripping over things I might not see if they have more experience than I do. Um, and then in the process, being able to get to the top of the mountain and look back and be like, not only did we get here, but man, that was a hell of a ride. That was amazing. And, you know, I'm now connected to you um, kind of forever because this is a moment in time that it's not possible for me to forget. So um, <laughs> I kind of think that was the, that was the magic. It was the magic of Nike. So Gordon Thompson influenced me that way. Mike Wilski, Bob Wood, who is Bob handled the acquisition of spark um, back into Nike. And um, like he was a insane character, classic old school dude. Um, some unreal stories scared me when I heard that he was the one that was that was um, fielding it because he does not suffer fools, but he, in two years that we worked together, probably influenced me as much as anyone on being really driven and yet really generous and uh, wonderful for people who have talent and want to do the right thing. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but no, it does. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's, it's, um, because that's been a really big topic for us. A, a few things, obviously, leadership, culture, mm -hmm. um, diversity, equality. And we just, you know, hearing some great leaders like yourselves and their interpretation, it's very consistent um, in, in how they want to lead as well as be led. Um, and, and the adaptation of just adjusting and just giving, kind of getting the freedom to do, like you said, the things that are meant for you to do but also being protected that way so i think it's it's yep. reassuring to hear um that we're we're getting there you know overall holistically as a as a community that there are leaders that are finally uh doing that so yeah it's you know it i don't know what it is but the you know so much of the world not if it's capitalism or whatever but can be so focused on the thing the gadget the success the dollar whatever it is that you may get what it is you were going after, but the the detritus and the the, the um, destruction that is on the path to having got there really leaves it hollow and makes it, um, you know, it just takes the power and the fun out of it. So um, I don't know. The more we can get people to realize that, yeah, you know, I, I use the term that changing the world should be hard, but it doesn't have to be heavy. 
for you know, sure. Working hard together is great. Go to bed, go to bed tired, but feeling like that was a freaking good day as opposed to drama and selfishness and focusing on the wrong things is heavy because you can't wait to go to sleep and you don't want to wake up in the morning. So. I think, you know, John spoke to, you know, we talk about culture a lot and um, I came into the company in 2000. And so, you know, I think that there was a different culture at that time than probably when you started in the company yeah. and, and you have this perspective where you left, you start spark, you come back through spark back into the company and then you're moving back into, you know, some some other roles um, after that. Can you speak to like maybe your perspective on the culture as it changes and yeah. and, and evolved in your time at Nike? Yeah, sure. Um, early on, I will say, and this could be just because I was just young and, and you know, you're focused kind of on what you're focused on. Like those that whole team sports window. Um it just felt like we were a bunch of kids doing what we loved, trying to change. Like I just always saw it as using design to change sport for the better. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, we were passionate about it. We had strong opinions about doing things that protected sport and advanced sport and not trading on it. I had a, I had a lot of, um, I'll say arguments with like the creative director at the NBA and other folks about, <laughs> about commoditizing sport as opposed to like investing in it and making it bigger. Um, and I think that, that to me, that will always be the heart of Nike, a bunch of young, um, passionate, smart believers in the power to make sport better. Um, and Nike was the vehicle to do that. Um, I think when I left the first time to go do spark, um, I left because I had something, I was running to something I wanted to do. I didn't leave Nike because it had changed or uh, I didn't have to leave. Um, but it was becoming um, smarter, more refined. It was it was kind of, I felt like it was coming into its own. Like it knew what innovation was. It knew the power of um, a unique platform, a big story. And we were really refining our ability to... Um, do things that shaped culture deliberately as opposed to just doing it because we loved it. Um, leaving and doing spark was a different experience. I think I took a ton of that or those early years. And then that understanding of the refinement a little more with me to helping to build that startup with a number of other good people. There are about, I think 30 of us uh, that were working on it, which is, uh, it's not, it's not just me. It was a great, great crew working on the spark stuff, but, um, Coming back was really interesting in a couple ways because it had changed in five years. Um, but um, uh, it had changed, you know, it had changed in interesting ways that it just felt larger when I came back. Um, the other piece, I was changed because of living a, a, a startup experience. Like, uh, I'll tell you this. I leave. I leave Nike on a Friday. I start doing the Spark gig on uh, the next Monday. I think that next weekend I went to an event in Florida, high school um, combine event in Florida. The hotel room I'm staying in. I I reach for the door that I think is the bathroom, and as I grab the handle, the door comes off the hinges, and it's actually a boiler room for something else. I have no idea what it was, and I was like, 
okay, life has changed from the Four Seasons to a ratty little deal in Tampa that is falling apart. Like this is the startup life. And so I, I will say when I came back, there were a lot of things. It was, it was pretty political. There were a lot of things politically that friends I had would, would kind of start to kind of whinge about a little bit. And I was like, you guys have no idea. This is not an issue. The stuff you're talking about now is not an issue. There are many other things you can spend your time on. Um, but same passionate crew. I, I remember the first time coming back, uh, having a meeting with Bob Wood in the cafeteria in, in, um, in the, let's see, it was in the Mia Ham building. We were having lunch. We were sitting down. He'd already sat down. I came in late, said, Hey, I'm going to run and get a salad and I'll come back. And I walked through the line and like 20 minutes later, I come back. So I just kept bumping into people like old friends were like, Hey, what are you doing back? What's the deal? And like, I just saw everybody and I came back and sat down and Bob, I don't know if you know Bob, but um, he, he loves profanities. He's like, you know, what the heck, what the hell happened to you? I'm like, man, I, I just like bumped into, I saw everybody that like, it's like all these people that I didn't realize how much I missed. So amazing. And we were just catching up and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm back. He's like, he's like, well, here's the deal. He goes, this is the most effed up, dysfunctional family on the planet but it's our damn family and we stick together and we make things happen and that's the way it is so like yeah that kind of sums it up so um it definitely sums yeah, it up exactly you know? <laughs> you know? and you can only kind of understand it if you've lived it but but i think that tightness you know with folks who you have connected with remains um and now i would just say nike is a global um uh, powerhouse and it 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 operates i think um, much of the same spirit that uh, we started back in the day still lives within it gives it gives it fuel and catalyst to move forward but there are a lot of decisions that um, are being made with kind of a different lens and probably need to be so i would guess because it's 35 billion dollar company as opposed to i think when i started it was two and a half or three so um you know, I don't know. It's an interesting life cycle. It's interesting watching how companies grow and change and especially passion brands like Nike. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously the leadership, you know, kind of dictates um, how that looks and feels, you know, and I think that when Mark came into the CEO role, you know, that was a pretty yep. big moment in time. Yep. Um, and obviously that transition uh, once Mark left is a, a whole new culture, a whole new place, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. can you, can you speak to, um, the, the transition to GMR and, and how that came about and your, um, yeah. your background in that decision? Yeah. Yeah. So I had left Nike in 2017 and we were, my, uh, kids were at a, uh, almost, I had two kids in college, but, um, we were. We have we're lucky we have a home in the desert, so Palm Desert area. We we were split in time. I was teaching at uh, Oregon State for a bit, um, doing some consulting, little angel investing and advising. Um, actually, we were enjoying life quite a bit. I was teaching design thinking at Oregon State because my two boys were going there. So, um, literally, would teach a class ten to twelve walk to my office my youngest son would be waiting there with qdoba while my we would listen to my other son who had a radio show um on every uh wednesday at noon so for me it was just like living the life we wanted to live um wow. wasn't really 
wasn't really looking for um had some cool things going on wasn't really looking for work um a friend again this goes back to the people thing matt johnson who ran global events at nike for a while awesome dude gave me a shout called me and just said hey i'm working for an agency it's in the omnicom network that um they're looking for a chief creative officer but they're not really necessarily looking for someone who you know to create a bunch of campaigns as much as they're trying to transform their company and see how creativity um can reshape their their profile their business their approach it's been around for about 40 years hugely successful really profitable um new new president he said he's really um really set on charting like the next what got us to here is not going to get us to there is kind of the point of view so what is the next thing um of course that sounds a lot like everything else in my career because one of the things when i left nike I was like the last thing i want to do is work for an agency or just the client thing or whatever <laughs> but but you know the starting the transforming the shaping the leadership pieces all became i became really passionate about and as i thought about um you know, much of the things that we've all learned from working at Nike, I have, I still have questions about, you know, theses about what works just because Nike was a, a crazy place and an awesome place, or if the world can truly be transformed in certain ways by some of the things we learned. And uh, this seemed like a great opportunity. I spent six months talking to Tyson Weber, who's the president. Awesome dude about whether, you know, you say you want change, but change is hard. And most people stop when it starts getting hard. Um, it was clear that he had a metabolism for doing some new things. And so, um, yeah, I agreed to help them with a bit of a transformation of their creative team, their creative culture and their position. So I've been doing that for about a year and a half. Um, some awesome clients with Google and, um, NFL for the Super Bowl and Nissan and a number of others, some others that we're picking up. Um, so it's a different deal. I've, I guess my summary kind of for me is I, when I look back at my career, I said the two things that I always followed were curiosity and challenge, right? Does it interest me? And is there a challenge built into it that seems like I know enough to be dangerous, but don't know all of it so that I'm going to learn and probably be a little bit scared doing it. And this had those ingredients. So, um, you know, we'll see. It's not, I don't think it's a long-term deal, but it's a project that uh, feels a lot like some of the other things I've done coming up with a little bit different of a flair that feeds me while hopefully helping another group get on a path that, you know, has some of the benefits and, and feels like what we've been talking about kind of this whole conversation. So, so kind of to follow up with that, um, how has agency agency life been with the pandemic? Yeah, Everything virtual, man. It's like zoom calls, team calls all day, every day. <laughs> it's uh it's nonstop. I think there are some some benefits to it in that um I think you can get to the heart of things quicker just because you have to like it really refines um the need to be articulate and clear and move quickly, which I think is great. Um the harder part is the culture and the energy of feeling like like just that magic of being in a room with folks when, you know, ideas start rolling and you really feel like you you can, you know, when it is, when you start feeding off of each other and you're like, right. oh man, let's, 
let's go. That I think is a harder rhythm. Um, but um, I think we've done all right. I, I do think it also gives people more time to work uh, exclusively. I guess maybe this is a little bit of a throwback to art center. I mean, at art center, when you're in design school, basically you have an assignment and you're doing it yourself and then you come to a crit and you put it up and then you get reviews and then you go back and you work on it. It feels a little more like design school, which might actually be good for some people's growth and technical skills, refining them again, as opposed to constantly being in meetings or somebody looking over your shoulder saying, move this or do that. Um, I'm looking forward to, I think that, I think the go back is um, most things are going to be virtual. It's not going to matter where people are. But there will be moments for brainstorming and ideation and projects where you pull people together for immersives that I think will be will feel more magical as opposed to you're just in an office cranking all day. So I, I think the future is going to give us the ability to work differently in some really at collective and in new interesting ways so yeah i couldn't have agreed more i think it's just the new way of working um so i'll ask the final question because we ask every every guest is that what kind of advice would you give the younger generation who is looking into getting into a bigger brand like nike or any other bigger brand or an agency side and then then the last follow-up question to that would be what kind of advice would you give your younger self Hmm. um so the advice I give younger folks, regardless of um, what brand they want to get to, is figure out what you want to do. Um, don't think about what you want to be. Like the question of what do you want to be when you grow up, I think is a, a fallacy. And I think it misguides most everyone because it's focused on a thing, a position, a role, um, a category that you don't have a ton of control over. But if you talk about what you want to do, what do I want? What did I want to do? I wanted to play sports or be involved in sports. I wanted to be able to um, become a designer and make cool things. I wanted to be able to apply design to um, shaping sport. I wanted to work with people that would teach me things and I would learn and I would um, uh, be different or better with every experience than, than um, I was before. Um, And I think that, you know, fortunately, in hindsight, I look back, I, I, I say a lot, I came into Nike as a designer, and I came out as something else. Um, and that's because it was always for me about what I wanted to do versus chasing a title. Um, and I think chasing a title is a trap. So if you know what you want to do, you can find any company that um, fits with that, you'll be happy, you will find the pieces within it that allow your best self to come out and through your best self coming out, you'll find the advancement and the fulfillment and the money and all the stuff that you seek. Um, my advice to my younger self would probably be um, enjoy it more and take more pictures and hang on to more of those shoes <laughs> from 1992 <laughs> and 93, the originals. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So, Anyway, no, this is awesome. First and foremost, thank you again, Ken. Um, I think this is, you're our first designer as a guest. So Mm. just know that in the creative. And so we're super stoked um, about what came about in your story. And we're so fortunate enough to call you a friend and, and know you as well. So thank you so much. 
Awesome. Hey, it's a privilege. And, and after Thomas show and knock and, uh, Megan, um, and crew, I, like it's a, it's an honor to be in that mix. So thank you for including me. Oh, of course. Call me, call me for anything. Oh, All right. okay. Sounds good, man. <laughs> thank you, Ken. You're the, you're the man. All right. All right. Take care. Okay, talk soon. See you. Bye. Bye.